Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time to go inside the film room with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry and Scott Seidenberg breaking down college football from a different angle. It's the College Football Film Room Podcast. And welcome inside the College Football Film Room alongside veteran scout coach and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. I'm Scott Seidenberg. And Chris, I've been in such a good mood ever since last Thursday. I, I know week zero kind of wet our appetites a little bit with the college football season. But last Thursday started week one, and I went Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Heck, we even had Monday Night Football, Chris. I've been watching college football nonstop, brother. It's so great. Yeah, it really is. And, of course, it's been a tradition uh, the last, gosh, several years now to open up college football. Now we get into the regular routine, week full, week two, um, as we get into week one of the NFL. So we'll have our regular routine. And – uh, as good as and exciting as it was, we've got some better matchups this weekend on the national stage that's going to kind of set the tone early on as to what we have and who's uh, who's got the medal and maybe who's a little bit uh, a little bit shy. So it's gonna we're gonna learn a lot each and every week, but we're we're gonna start big time this week learning a lot. Well, Chris, if you found the hundred dollars on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you'd take the money, so why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you could always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot try a parlay if all your picks come through you'll multiply your winnings and no matter how you bet the nfl season is the best time of the year join now and my bookie will double your first deposit use promo code c film that's promo code c film to activate the offer that's promo code c film visit mybookie.ag today you play you win you get paid. Uh, before we get into the week two matchups, uh, let's take a look back at week one and some of the things that stood out to us. Uh, I want to start with Ohio State, Justin Fields. There was a question mark to see what we were going to see from him as a starting quarterback in the Big Ten. And granted, it was against Florida Atlantic, but Justin Fields looked good passing for 234 yards. He had the four touchdowns throwing through the air. Uh, I think checked off the boxes, if you will, uh, if you had any questions heading into that game, I think he might have answered them for Ryan Day in Ohio State. Well, he took care of the ball. He managed the game well. He made plays with his legs. He he um, he threw the ball effectively. Look, when you manage the game, you take care of the ball. The big plays are going to come. I thought they really came out of the gate really strong. I thought they defense played uh, showed improvement in the early stages. Um, you know, Florida Atlantic got back in, and I don't think uh, I don't think Ohio State lost their rhythm a little bit. Going to be a little bit of a challenge this week against Cincinnati, where it, Luke Fickle's got a really solid football team who mm-hmm. uh, handled the UCLA very nicely. So, um, I, listen, I I have no doubts and no questions about Justin Fields um, and how he's going to play with Ryan Day at the helm. It's going to be successful. And I think it's going to depend on the play around J.K. Dobbins was outstanding. I think this Ohio State team is the team to beat in the Big Ten. We'll see how much better they get week in and week out. 
Uh, LSU, Chris, um, this is LSU. Like I was watching that game that that's LSU. <laughs> I'm not used to watching the LSU offense spread the ball around the field. Joe Burrow, 278 passing yards, five touchdowns. I, I kept having to rub my eyes, Chris, because I, I couldn't believe that was an LSU offense I was watching. Uh, Burrow hit 14 different receivers, the backs out of the backfield. They really worked the RPO game very well. Thought the defense did a really good job against uh, the option series. Got off to a good good start in the game, good rhythm. They were teams kind of struggled for a quarter, maybe getting started or start off well and not finish well. LSU played really good in all three facets for, you know, for four quarters. Um, it's a really good start against a, you know, a really solid team in Georgia Southern. So the test obviously is this week. We'll get into it with the, the matchup against Texas going to Austin. But um, I thought the tempo was good. It's got some maturity on the team. Listen, the offensive line played well, but the ball's coming out quicker. So it's going to be real interesting to see um, this LSU team. And uh, we'll learn a little bit more, like I say, each and every week, but this offense looks to be really good. And let's call it like it is. It's, it's having a quarterback that can do those things. In Joe Burrow, they've got a tough guy, a smart guy, a leader, a guy that they can, you know, ask a lot of at the line of scrimmage to make decisions. And uh, I, th- I think he's going to do a really good job as long as he's upright. This offense is going to be outstanding. The game of the week, Chris, Auburn and Oregon. Bo Nix growing up before our very eyes. Uh, every time, speaking of eyes, they zoomed in on this kid in pressure situations cool as a cucumber had command of his huddle had command of the offense on the field delivers the touchdown pass with nine seconds remaining uh, there were times in this game where i thought auburn looked a little uh, overmatched in terms of uh, their offense going up against oregon's defense but there were also times when auburn's defensive line showed why they are the most talented unit in the country this was just a great game from start to finish and really bo nicks as i mentioned uh the maturity for a kid who was in high school last year just unbelievable and a lot of promise now for this auburn tigers team yeah wasn't it amazing um i mean we had um uh, the kid uh, bachmeyer from boise state true freshman sam howell true freshman bo nix true freshman we're talking about Jaden daniels arizona state but you know, the difference was now Howell was impressive coming back against South Carolina and certainly Bachmeyer against uh, Florida State. But Bo on that stage, you're right. A uh, couple of things that jumped out at me. Um, Oregon really blocked Auburn's front early. They had success yes. running the football. And, you know, Oregon couldn't capitalize on a lot of opportunities. Uh, dropped balls in the end zone, fumbled deep um, going in and actually held Auburn to a field goal there, but just a lot of missed opportunities. They could have, you know, spread out this game to where they could have put Auburn away to where a, a late run wouldn't have been good enough. They couldn't do it. And, you know, I go back and I look at the same thing, a similar thing happened when um, Oregon tried to put away Stanford last year. Mistakes, costly mistakes, cost them again. So I know in Eugene they feel like they let one get away, and they did. On the other side, Auburn's defense, which, as I said, got blocked early, really stood up in the second half. I mean, they stood up like a big boy. They shut down Oregon the last seven possessions. And the the run game in the defense of Auburn kept Auburn in the game. And what I saw is 
they played a very vanilla scheme with Bo Nix for the majority of the game. They didn't want him. They didn't want to put him in harm's way. They didn't want to have the mistake that would cost them because they know they've got a really good defensive team. So don't give up cheap points. And so they played that way. But then when they were behind and they need to come back, they needed to kind of unleash him a little bit. So you're going to live and die. You're going to be aggressive and you risk high risk, high reward. And the guy, the guy really, Bo Nix played really well down the stretch. So I thought it was, a, that was the storyline of how he played down the stretch, but playing down the stretch would have been him trying to scramble and probably turning the football over a bunch if Oregon had put him away or if Auburn's defense had not stepped up to take over. So listen, um, you got to finish. Uh, Oregon was impressive on how they played, but not impressive on how they finished. Auburn, maybe not as sound overall, but again, based upon what they get out of this game, now they get out of it with a win. They've got a couple of, Tulane won't be easy. Uh, that, that may sound easier than it will be, but they can take care of business, get some more reps of this young guy under his belt. And who knows, with this defense, um, they've got some tough matchups like uh, Florida at home going to Baton Rouge to play LSU. But, you know, Auburn may, you know, they're going to be in it. I'll say this. Their schedule's probably not going to allow them to stay in the race the entire season. But who knows? For most of it, maybe they can. This is a really talented defensive team. And if they can run the football and Bo can begin to make plays, shoot, uh, Auburn's going to be a factor. We talk about true freshman quarterbacks. How about a freshman kicker with the game winner from oh, deep, man. Chris? Nevada upsetting Purdue 34-31. This was a bad loss for Purdue. Well, it was. They they really had a chance. Probably, you know, looking at it, they and I think even Jeff Brom came out and said, we, we took the foot off the gas a little bit. You know, for a team like that that's ultra-aggressive, they probably needed to just put the foot down and kind of put them away on the offensive side. They couldn't. Nevada's always difficult there. This is not a great Nevada Nevada team, but, um, you know, Jay, Varnell, Jay Norvell had his team well-prepared. Uh, and what a great story. What a great kick. Uh, get a game ball and get a scholarship all at one. Oh, yeah. A great story there. Now, Purdue's got to bounce back. They've got to play Vanderbilt, a matchup of two 0-1 teams and kind of a must win there. It's not a conference game, obviously, for Purdue, but, you know, getting some things fixed in terms of pass rush, in terms of the run game, um, that's what I saw out of Purdue that they needed to be a little bit more functional on. And let's uh, continue with the bad loss theme. Florida State goes into the locker room leading 31-19 to against Boise State and uh, doesn't come out of the locker room for the second half, Chris. Uh, Boise State comes back. They beat Florida State in what is a crushing loss for Willie Taggart. Well, it is. Um, you know, it, it was pretty clear. They came in with the game plan, up-tempo, um, Kendall Bryles, got the team in position to score, scored a lot of points. The problem is they didn't adjust to Boise's adjustments. I thought Boise did a good job of adjusting their pressures. They played more press coverage, and Florida State didn't respond to it. So, yeah, you think they scored 31 points, that's enough, but they couldn't sustain any drives on offense in the second half. The defense for Florida State did not play very well. Boise blocked them up front the entire game. Florida State played a lot of bare front, covering up both cent uh, the center and both guards. Um, 
and Barzi still was able to run on. That's a that's a run defense. That that's what you do when you try to slow down the run. And Boise blocked them and had success. Now in the first half, Florida State's defense created some turnovers. That was the difference, and it allowed them to make some explosive plays on offense. But because they were not very good at getting off blocks, and because they were on the field defensively, Florida State's defense on the field for get a load of this. 108 snaps that was devastating so all the talk about well 108 you know, plays to 54 or somewhat something like yeah, that they so, got dominated. so you know you talk about conditioning and all of that there's no conditioning to deal with that when you're on the field for that many snaps so it's a combination of the defense did not play very well the defense was not helped at all by the offense and their ability to to stain the football um in the second half and so you know you could see it that once Boise within range was in range that Florida State was not going to be able to stop them. So it is definitely a devastating loss. Um, the the negativity at Tallahassee it's probably um, well it's it's in that range that uh, probably in Knoxville right now it's really really bad. And the ugliest loss probably of them all, Tennessee losing to Georgia State. Chris, uh, I'm not so sure how you can respond from from this loss if you're the balls and expect to feel any somewhat positively about this season? Well, no, it's, it's awfully tough because here's the reality. We know they've got some issues on the offensive and defensive line. I've discussed it and talked about it, but not as it relates to Georgia state personnel that, that to me, um, when I watched them, I saw effort at times but I saw some bad effort at times too. That was concerning. I don't know if it's a byproduct. I don't know how they practice. I don't know if they were dead legged at all. I can't speak to that, but they played as if they were, they played um, poorly from an assignment and a technique standpoint, Georgia state blocked them consistently. They were in the wrong gaps in many cases and they were gassed and gassed and gassed again and they couldn't do anything. They could not get off the field on third downs. And offensively, they couldn't run the football and stay on the field on third downs. They moved the football through the air. They had some success, but it's the inability to tackle and get off the field, the mistakes that they made, turning it over, that was a, it was a real disaster. And an ugly loss, maybe as bad of a loss that Tennessee's ever had. I mean, they gave up 213 yards rushing. And had nine it, it under ninety yards themselves. Um, look, I mean, it was it was really ugly. And they've got a very disciplined, very physical BYU team coming in. This is gut check time. This was a type of a loss where the circumstances around it. At other places, when you don't play really well, they kind of ignore you. In the deep south, at these blue blood programs. That where they live and die with it. If you don't play well, it is the sky is falling. The negativity resonates. You've got to block out that in the locker room. You got to stay focused. You've got to attack. You've got to stick together. This is the type of loss that could, I'm not saying it will, could cause you to lose your team. And this would be really devastating. So, Look, they've got to use this as fuel to kind of get some things corrected, and uh, it was a it was a really bad bad loss. 
and uh, something that shouldn't have happened. It did. Now where do you go from there? A loss to BYU would make an ugly situation that much uglier and that much more difficult to climb out of that hole. Let's talk about the games coming up here for week two. And how about this matchup? Number 12, Texas A&M at number one, Clemson. Clemson, 17 and a half point favorites over the Aggies. Uh, they are so impressive, uh, Clemson. But we we know that already. We know how good this team is. Uh, you look up and down their schedule and not many tests that they're going to face this year. But this is certainly one of them because this is a talented Texas A&M group, Chris. It is. A&M is very well coached. They're physical. Uh, they'll play hard. They'll play well. I don't know if they can win it without the aid of Clemson making some mistakes. And Clemson does have some youth. By comparison, I think A&M's a little bit better than last year. And I think Clemson's not quite as experienced as last year. Uh, but it is in, in Clemson, in Death Valley, as opposed to in College Station. That'll make a difference. But I expect A&M to play well. And I think they've got a chance uh, but I do think that, you know, the one thing you've got to do is you've got to set the edge in the run game. If you don't, uh, it's pretty clear what Clemson's going to do. They're going to exploit you with their speed. Trevor Lawrence did not play very well last week against Georgia Tech, and it really didn't matter. Um, so, look, I expect him to play well. I expect it to be a big environment. No, by the way, you know, when you hear that, well, every now and then Clemson just kind of doesn't show up and don't play well. Not in these type of games. No. They perform well in these type of games. It's, you know, um, Syracuse, it's a NC State, a Pitt, or a Boston College in an early start. That's where they tend to fall asleep a little bit. Uh, by the way, Boston College looked really good. Uh, I mm -hmm. digress. But, um, no, I, this Clemson will be ready to play and be ready to, to make a statement. They love the fact, hey, they beat Alabama. They want to beat the SEC again. Uh, don't fool yourself. This game means an awful lot for a lot of reasons for Clemson with very lofty goals this year. Yeah, and, and Jimbo Fisher's got familiarity there, but um, you're right. This game's going to mean something to Clemson. They're going to want to make a statement here against a, a very good opponent. Uh, another matchup of two ranked opponents, the top 10 matchup, Chris, LSU and Texas. You touched on it briefly before, but you look at LSU and the way that their offense has completely transformed this year. Texas's offense looked just as advertised. You, you know, uh, Sam Ellinger had a really nice first week there at home. Uh, LSU is actually a road favorite in this game. Uh, I, I like what I've seen from LSU. This one looks like it has the potential to be high scoring. It could be. Um, listen, it, it's it's a challenge that's an upgrade from playing Georgia Southern and Louisiana Tech, respectively. So this is this is going to be really important for a lot of reasons on the national stage. I do think LSU is the more talented team of the two. Uh -huh. um, I think that they have more speed. I think they've got more matchup advantages. Um, I think, you know, both quarterbacks are outstanding. In fact, both quarterbacks uh, got a lot in common. They're both tough. They're both smart. They're both leaders. Uh, and I think they're underrated, both of them, in the passing game. But they can run the football effectively, particularly Ellinger with his legs can really be devastating. So, to me, it comes down to this. I don't think Texas can win unless Sam Ellinger has a great game. I mean, like Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma against Houston, good. I mean, mm -hmm. he's going to have to beat LSU with his legs and his arm. And I think LSU, shame on them if they don't spy him and take him out of the game and force what I think is a very thin running back core at Texas to beat him. So – 
look, I think it can happen, but not without Sam Ellinger playing really good or LSU just playing very sloppy and turning it over. And I, I think that they'll have a really good defensive game plan. I think that'll be the difference. I will say this. Tom Herman always gets his guys ready to play in big-time games, big-time moments, and this is certainly one of them, and it is at home. And, you know, remember, their biggest game that they play every year is Oklahoma. That's in Dallas. So to have a game of this magnitude out of conference um, is kind of unusual to have somebody of this ilk. There's a lot of recruiting uh, butting heads that goes on between these two programs. You got the whole background with LSU trying to hire Tom Herman, him spurning LSU and yep. taking his dream job at Texas. Oh, feeling like he was the third choice. And he's, you know, it's he's probably got the better team, but he's going on the road. A lot of different storylines. But the bottom line, two really good teams. Texas, which I think they're good. I don't think they're national playoff good. And if they are, they're going to have to prove it by winning this game at home. LSU certainly makes a little bit of a statement. I think kind of a a must win if they're going to be a player. They can't lose this game and be in the national playoff picture. I'm not sure that either one are. LSU is a little bit closer to being a national playoff caliber team. But the loser of this game, probably not going to happen. Because for Texas, they're likely going to have to play Oklahoma twice. Uh, certainly once, and if they're good enough, I have to play them twice. Um, and I don't think they're going to win both. And LSU's got to play Alabama, along with a, a number of other tough teams. Uh, I, I don't think the loser can survive and still be in the national playoff race, in my view. Let's move along uh, to a Pac-12 matchup. Number 23, Stanford against USC. The Trojans losing quarterback JT Daniels in a big blow to their team. Uh, how do they respond, Chris, at home here against a Stanford team coming off a win in week one? Well, a couple of things. Um, I'm curious to see the availability of Costello as well because he got knocked out of the Northwestern game. I think he's going to play, but there's nothing definite on that. I think it's going to hurt, obviously, not having JT Daniels. Um, I don't know where they go. And there's some talk about entertaining, bringing, or allowing Jack Sears back into the program. That'll be interesting. You know, Slovis is, is I think, the guy this week. Certainly, uh, when watching Stanford, um, they are very good at the line of scrimmage. I like this defense. I like their corners. I like their front. Offensively, uh, they didn't have Costello for the entire game against Northwestern. I think this Stanford team is going to be pretty good, and I think they're going to be pretty effective in the passing game as the season progresses. With USC, listen, I get what they're trying to do with their offense. Their offensive line is just not typical USC offensive line, and they're trying to create space. They've got really good receivers. Um, I think that even with Slovis, they can move the football. I, I think the ball comes out quick. It's designed that way, and so I think it's very quarterback-friendly. I think USC has a difference, a playmaker on all three levels of their defense that are very, very good. They're thin in the secondary. They're not quite as good up on front in the offensive line. Um, this is this is a tough road for USC. We know all the pressure that that, that Clay Helton is is under, um, but this to me um, is is a dangerous game at home against a Stanford team that's going to be very well prepared. But I think it's going to be a close one. I think it's almost too close to call. But if Costello is healthy and playing, 
I think it's Stanford. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. Let's stick in the Pac-12, Chris. Oregon looking to respond from their loss to Auburn against the Nevada team that we talked about that won uh, with that last-second field goal. So now you have Auburn, uh, excuse me, Oregon in their home opener. Uh, I, I just think this is a bad spot for Nevada. This is one that Oregon's going to want to take out a lot of frustration on, right? Yeah, I think that uh, they'll be able to move the football very effectively on this Nevada defense, and uh, there were plenty of opportunities that Purdue didn't take advantage of. I think that uh, that Oregon definitely kind of takes out frustration, plays very well, kind of clean things up, and then let's move on to conference play is the way they're going to approach it because uh, they still got a lot on their plate, and to their, you know, at least there are no moral victories, but they didn't get manhandled by Auburn. They played very well, and it probably – you know, kills the conference as well as Oregon's chances yep. in the national playoffs. 100%. But, you know, if they win the rest of their games, uh, it also depends on how Auburn ends up with the year. If Auburn ends up with a really good year, then it kind of, you know, uplifts the Oregon's profile. But they just got to learn how to finish better within the league. It's not going to be an issue against Nevada, though. Any other games of note stand out to you here in week two? Yeah, listen, Cal Washington, Jacob Eason was outstanding against Eastern Washington. They've got a really good vertical game. This is a really good Cal defense. Again, I don't think Cal has enough offense, but I'm very curious to watch that game. Miami, North Carolina, how about the Tar Heels? They couldn't have done it had it not been for the collapse by South Carolina, but how about the defensive effort getting off the field? Two 90-plus yard drives by Sam Howell. Um, how will they handle Miami? How will Miami rebound from two weeks ago when the loss to uh, to Florida? Go down 0-2 would be really tough for the Kings. So that's really intriguing to me. Arkansas all miss only for the reason of the team that loses this game is probably going to end up uh, the, the last in the SEC West. UCLA's got to rebound off the mat against San Diego State, don't they? And how about Nebraska-Colorado? An old Big 8 matchup. Oh, yeah. Can Nebraska get their offense going? They did not look good last week. And all the buffs took care of business against the Rams. Um, I expect Nebraska's uh, offense to respond a little bit in this game. So, hey, can Army offense cause a little problems for Michigan's defense? We'll see. How about Syracuse, Maryland? But that explosive offensive output for Maryland. I know level of competition. Syracuse offense did not look really good against Liberty, but the defense did. Uh, I mentioned Cincinnati, Ohio, Vandy, Purdue. Some really good, intriguing second and third tier matchups. Southern Miss, Mississippi State. Want to see this Mississippi State offense. Kylan Hill was outstanding, by the way, uh, running the football. But there's a lot of intriguing matchup. I'm intrigued by Minnesota Fresno State a little bit late night. It's going to be an intriguing matchup. Pretty good, pretty solid Fresno State team. Minnesota did not play as well at the line of scrimmage. Um, so I'm very curious to see, um, you know, a, a, a number of those games play out and see what happens. The storyline that we will be saying after week two of the college football season is going to be what? To me, I'll start and I'm going to say that the storyline that we're going to be saying after week one is that LSU is a national title contender after they go into Texas and win? Well, I think a lot of people are going to think that. What I would say is I think they should win. They're better. And I think LSU's season is going to be defined. I, I mean, I think this is – obviously, you can't lose this game and be a factor, so it's the next step. But for me, the defining moments for LSU 
is going to be, you know, taking care of business against Florida at home, taking care of Auburn at home. They still got to go to Alabama and they've got A&M at home. So to me, yes, they're, they're quote unquote, where we think they should be going into conference play. Um, if they win this, they'll, they'll be set there, but I think there's a way to go in my mind. Uh, I think if they look good on offense with their defense, I think the hype train with LSU is going to be huge. I will agree with you. That's going to be a storyline. Then I think the storyline is going to be written with AM Clemson, just based upon who does what and how they do it. I think that if AM plays well, it will show a lot of signs that where that program is continuing to move towards. And, you know, I think with Clemson, I think we know what the storyline is. Um, and if they're taking care of business, um, we kind of know where this is going. But I, I agree with you. I think it, the game of the week is probably going to be defined by LSU Texas because the winner of the game, particularly if it's Texas, that's where the hype train is going to really go. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because if Texas wins, then it's okay. Oh God, Oklahoma, we're right here. It beat, you know, LSU, a really good team. And then now, Hey, they've got a, a path perhaps to the playoffs, yada, yada, yada. And whereas LSU, I think you're going to hear a lot of that as well. So, that's a good call by you. I think the winner, rightly or wrongly, is going to be hyped up as a playoff caliber team. Although I will say that's going to be determined more towards the end of the year. Of course, but we're just talking just specifically in week two because mm-hmm. we know that week two is kind of that uh, that overreaction point in both college football and the NFL, especially in the NFL when you hear the teams that start 0-2 make the playoffs X amount of time. So you know that that's coming soon, Chris. I, I will say this. <laughs> another storyline could be if they don't win, the clocks start ticking on Clay Helton. I mean, I think that's, that's, you know, okay. that, that, that I mean, you know what I mean? He doesn't, so he's yeah. not going to get a pass with losing JT Daniels. Well, I mean, I think there may be some people that, that, that should, my thing is this, the decision on him is why are, they've got talent at USC, but they don't have USC type talent. If you know what I mean? I talk about yeah. offensive. So where is that? So I think that anything short of a like 10 and two win the South, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for him keeping his job. So losing at home to Stanford, not going to put him there, but st- just look at that schedule. I say it starts the, the the clock ticking a little bit because of what I think could happen. Now, look, if they, if they lose the game and then rebound, they're fine. But what you're starting after BYU, they got Utah, Washington, open date, Notre Dame. Okay, so mm. if they lose the game, you know, I mean, they're, they're staring likely three losses. They could have four losses in one, two, three, four, five, six games. I mean, yeah. if they lose, we're staring two and four in the face. And I know it, just, it doesn't happen. It probably, I can't see him being better than three and three. That is an uphill battle. And that's why I say it starts the clock ticking and you'll wonder if things start to happen. Here's the other thing. Here's the other storyline. If BYU beats Tennessee, so you combine that loss to Georgia <laughs> State to a uh, loss to BYU, and you don't yeah. respond. I mean, it, it's it's going to be a storyline of what the hell do we do? Because they're not going to run Jeremy Pruitt this soon. Nope. But they're going to be apoplectic, thinking, "What in the bleep is going on? And what do we do here?" Because there's going to be talk about this is going to be, you know, you know, it's 
right now the theme is, hey, well, Georgia State's the worst team on our schedule. We're not going to win a game. You know, that's that's in the how it works. The transitive yeah. property doesn't work in college football. <laughs> They'll play better and beat somebody that they shouldn't beat. But I'm going to tell you, danger of losing that team. They lose to BYU. That's I just can't, be, I just can't see it, Chris. I can't that's, see it. That's going to be a well, – but, but that will be a storyline that might trump who wins LSU, Texas. Yeah. Or yes, yeah, you're mean, right. It could be – because it's the storyline of college football this week. Well, I pencil that in. Not, I pencil that in. I pencil that in as one of my wins already this week, Chris. I just can't no, see I, Tennessee listen, losing I'm, this game. I, I, I'm with you. I think they've got to respond, and I would agree with you. I'm saying if, then the storyline kind of flips and maybe runs that. I don't even think that's a possibility of Florida State losing to Louisiana Monroe, so I won't no. even broach that topic. But that that is an issue, no question about it. I think right now – where there's the most frustration, I, you know, and, and look, I mean, I, to compare it, I don't know, I'm not going to rank them one, two, three, but in Knoxville, in Tallahassee, and in Columbia, South Carolina, there's a lot of frustration. And of those three, only one of those teams is really in danger of losing, and that would be Tennessee, because that's the only team that competitively could beat them, potentially. So those are storylines. And I know USC's, you know, there's frustration, but – I think we're ways away from that. I think they'd have to lose this game and then have to lose those three games, Utah, Washington, Notre Dame, and start two and four. Then I think the level of frustration in, in Trojan land is going to maybe match what we're seeing right now. But I got to tell you, the other USC, as they call it in University of South Carolina, uh, they're not real happy. And year four or year five, is it, for, for to blow that game, to collapse again, like mm. they did against North Carolina. That may be maybe not getting as much play, Scott. That That's probably uh, as frustrated a fan base right now, considering the depth of where he is in his program and for this to happen. Again, I look at their schedule. I thought they could possibly win seven, but one of those was North Carolina. Yeah. I, I mean, they're going to have to things. really have to deal with big time if they're going to get bowl eligible, which it's a tough, tough schedule, but they just lost a game that they absolutely should have won. Now, now watch you mark it down. They're going to win a game that they shouldn't. Yeah. Of course. You know, somewhere along the line, this way it goes, but that's a game that's going to haunt them and it's going to haunt will if it doesn't turn around, by the way, uh, Helensky is going to get the start. Wish him the best. Of course, he is the brother of the Tyler, Washington yeah. state quarterback who obviously tragically took his life. So his family, by the way, has moved to Columbia, South Carolina to be with him. And, and all that. so wish him the best. Maybe that sparks the, uh, the Gamecocks. They got, uh, oh, uh, it's pretty easy. They've got Alabama coming up in a week. <laughs> oh, no. So much for that. Well, Chris, where do I go when I want winners, when I need more information? VegasSportsAdvisors.com has a dozen pros posting their picks. It's not a betting site. It's just information, and I want as much information as possible before I place my bets. So check it out. Use our promo code. It'll get you a free week, so why won't you just try it? VegasSportsAdvisors.com. Use the promo code COLLEGEFILMROOM. Well, Chris, hey, you go to LandryFootball.com. One of my favorite things to do before a college football Sunday is read the film room previews, which this season you have it grouped by conferences, so it makes it easy. Just find the conference of the team that you're looking for, and you get all the game previews right there in the conference write-ups. 
Yeah, absolutely. We'll do some special features on some big games, but you're right. We'll break them down by conference, gives folks an idea what to look for, some of the key matchups, games within the games. We also have our notebooks every day that we tell you what's going on um, during practices each week, uh, keep you up to date on all the inside information. So it's one-stop shopping football for the college football fan, for the NFL fan. Look, if you like football, you're going to love LandryFootball.com. It's like having your own coaching and personnel department at your at your fingertip for less than a magazine subscription. Take advantage of the 50% discount on the year membership. If you want to try it out for three months or one month, you've got those options as well. So listen, come join the LandryFootball.com family like a lot of folks are. We've got NFL teams, college programs, a lot of media folks really do love uh, and great getting great feedback, a lot of free podcasts. So a lot of stuff for you at LandryFootball.com. Check it out today. You won't regret it. And be sure to follow Chris on Twitter at LandryFootball. Follow me at Scott's On Air. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the College Football Film Room podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Coming up next week, we will break down week two and preview week three as the college football season rolls along. I'll talk to you then, Chris. Hey, look forward to it, man. Enjoy the games. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.